Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, December the 10th, 2021. It is currently 3.51 p.m. Central Time, and here I sit in the empty sanctuary, Victory Baptist Church, Ovalo, Texas. Yes, I have the book of Isaiah open. Yes, I have commentaries everywhere. Yes, I have Bible dictionaries. Yes, I have my iPad with with all kinds of additional notes and resources. And I'm going to be honest with you, I I don't know exactly how to proceed because this is one this is one of those situations where I mean, when you get into Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 8, it, there's so much to try to try to unpack and and not just that you feel like that every time you turn on the microphone to do a bible study exercise or to even preach this you feel like every time you have to start back and say okay everyone let's go back to chapter 7 and let's step through this walk through this step by step and that takes a lot of time which really in many cases stops you from really moving forward in the study however I think that going back and walking through it over and over and over and over and over and over again is the way that it becomes basically ingrained and, and, and basically, you know, and it basically it, it, it becomes a part of everyone who parta- partakes in the study. In other words, the more you hear it, the more you hear it, it becomes a part of you. It, it's, it's kind of just burned into your brain. So you're like, okay, Isaiah 7. And that that you hear it so many times that anytime anyone says, open their Bi- you know, open your Bibles to Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 8, you can stop and in your mind, you can go, okay, all right, here we go. Number one, number two, number three, number four. Okay, we got this person, this person. Okay, here's what was going on. Okay, here's why this happened. This And you just know it. And the more you know it, I cannot stress this enough. The more you know it, the better prepared you are the better protected you are from, from be, have, being manipulated or having someone twist the scriptures and you not realize it. Isaiah 7 and 8 are just chapters, and we need to, we, we will have to include this if, you, if you're not aware of this. If you've looked at the um, curriculum, Isaiah 9 is next. So you can just go ahead and start reading Isaiah 9. In fact, what you should do is just read Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, and maybe try to read all three chapters I don't know if you can do it in one setting, but if you can, just just sit there and just just read all three chapters five times, just just over and over and over and over, and one of those times out loud. If you can do that, if you if you cannot do that, then uh, the Blue Letter Bible app. You can listen to the audio uh, of of it being read to you there, and just seven, eight, nine. Just read it and read it and read it, because if if we can't. If, if the only thing I can accomplish in this study is having you know Isaiah 7, 8, and 9 so well that you'll never be misled and no one can ever rip these verses out of context ever again in your presence because you know it so well that you immediately will be like, nope, no, 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 I'm sorry, back up, back up, back up. Are you not going to be concerned with this issue or this issue or this problem? And what about this context? And what about this? You'll never be able to hear anyone do that to you again. So if I can accomplish that, then I've accomplished something. But but I, 
I'm sitting here just looking like, what? how do we move forward? I mean, there's so much to talk about, but we're going to do our very best. Now, I am not going to be able to cover every little detail um, and walking through this again. Um, I have given everyone ample time to email me questions or difficulties or, or anything that they don't understand. And I have not received anything this week about confusion. I've, 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 uh, I've read a lot of people's observations, which have all been very, very, very good. I think for the most part, people really have a, a pretty good grasp as far as the people who have contacted me of Isaiah 7 and 8. They seem to understand the historical setting. They understand the historical context. They understand the dilemma. They, they seem to understand the emotion, the danger in the situation. And they seem to have some understanding of the promise of God being made in this chapter and then how that may, how that's applicable beyond just the historical setting. I think for the most part, people have that. But let's, let's just go through this quickly so that we're all on the same page, all right? Isaiah chapter 7. And I, I apologize for taking that long even talking about that, but I, I've, just, I've been sitting here for I don't know how long just going, okay, how do I, how do I approach this? In fact, I, was, I went over to Podbean, um, and I got everything set up to do the live broadcast there, but I'm like, man, if I'm in Podbean and all these you know, new people coming into the live broadcast, they may not have a clue what's going on, and then they may start asking questions, which would be good, but then that would really derail us from moving forward. So it was like, which, which, which direction do I go? So I decided to just stay with what I know right here on Spreaker, do the live broadcast on this platform, and try to move this forward as much as possible and hopefully be beneficial. I mean, it's, it's Friday. We're almost at the end of another week of Bible study. It, it, it's just crazy how fast a week goes. It, you, you, you think, like in, in one way, you think a week feels like a long time. Maybe when you look at it from one perspective, maybe if you have to go to work, you have all of these weekly responsibilities. But when you look at like, okay, I've got seven days to study a passage of Scripture, at first, that may feel like a long time, but literally before we know it, it's like, here we are on Friday, and then Saturday, and then, well, we're at Sunday. Now, now it's time to move on to another passage, and it's like, these, the, at least in Isaiah 7, 8, 9, these passages could literally take years to work through, but I, I'm doing the best I can, and hopefully, hopefully, even if you've not been able to do much study, hopefully you've done a lot of listening to these chapters be read to you or whatever app you may be using, just listening to them over and over and over and over and over again, because that really is so critical. But let's go. Isaiah chapter 7. I'll just start in verse 1 so that we, 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 we remember this, because this, this sets up the context for everything in Isaiah 7 and 8. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. So we have Ahaz, the king of Judah. We have the kings of Syria and Israel coming together to go after Ahaz, the king of Judah, basically to replace him. Why? Well, they want to come together to get rid of the Assyrians. They want Ahaz to join him. He seems to be to join them. He seems to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to rely on the Assyrians. I'm going to kind of stay more pro 
to the Assyrian side and they're like, well, we're coming to get you. We're going to remove you and we're going to put a king there. And then together, all, uh, you know, Judah, Israel and Syria, we will go after and stop the Assyrians. So they, they, everyone has their, their own perspective. Ahaz is like, look, I'm not, I'm not going to go along with you. Now he knows they're coming after him. He's obviously worried. There is concern. And then God sends the prophet Isaiah to him to say, hey, the, this is not going to happen. They're not, they're not going to be able to destroy you. Don't, don't worry. Don't fear. Be calm. I've got everything under control. And just to show you, ask for me a sign. You just ask a sign. Heaven, earth, below, anywhere. You ask a sign. I'll give you a sign so that you can be calm. You can rely on me. And understand that that the, the these two kings are not going to they're not going to destroy you and, and you don't need the Assyrians you just need to rely on me. Well, Ahaz obviously has already made up his mind. Ahaz, being a wicked king, has decided he's going to work with the Assyrians. He doesn't care about God, doesn't care about Isaiah, doesn't care about a sign, but he covers up the fact that he's already made up his own mind in a very spiritual way. Oh, I can't tempt the Lord. Again, covering up, basically, he's he's trying to come up with a spiritual justification for him to pursue his own will. Well, I have to I have to do this because I can't tempt God with a sign. So I, you know, I'm, I've got to just go ahead and go this direction. It's 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 horrible how he conducts himself here, but that's what he does. So then God says, "Okay, you don't want a sign. I'm going to give a sign." This sign's going to go beyond just you. It's going to go to the entire house of Judah, the house of Judah where God had already promised in the Old Testament that, hey, I'm going to place a king on the throne of Judah and there and that king will, will remain. And so he's made a promise to Judah. He's made a promise about a king. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to give a promise to the house of Judah, uh, to, to the house of David, basically to Judah. It's going to go way beyond you, Ahaz, but I'm going to give you a sign. And that sign is, behold, a virgin will conceive and bring forth a child, and his name will be called Emmanuel. And we're like, wait, what is going on? What does that have to do with Ahaz? Well, we think in one way, well, it probably doesn't have anything to do with Ahaz. This is to the house of David. You didn't want a sign? Here's the ultimate sign I'm going to give. Here's the ultimate sign. And we could talk about all the things uh, about that. Well, after he gives that sign, he then starts talking a little bit about the, about, well, we don't, he, he starts talking, it seems about a child. Verse 15, butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Well, before this child uh, knows to refuse evil and choose the good, these two kings are going to be taken care of. Well, wait, when does that happen? Well, we think that verse 16 is possibly referring to, well, there's, there's two different ways of looking at it, but we, we think that, we don't think that it, it makes sense that that's referring to Jesus as the, the one born of a virgin who will be called Emmanuel because he's not going to be born for another 700 years. Obviously, these two kings before the child is is even before the child is even born this is going to take place these two kings are going to be taken care of within years not hundreds and hundreds of years so it doesn't seem to make sense that that applies to Emmanuel the other possible idea we we considered is does it refer to Isaiah's son whom he brought when he met with I when he met with Ahaz and that son's name is Shear Jashub 
which means a remnant will return. Now, we think it, it possibly could refer to him, maybe, before Shirar Jishab uh, reaches the age to know to refuse the evil and to choose the good, these kings will be gone. It, it, we, we, we talked all about the possibilities. We could go back through all of that. Okay, so then verse 17 to 25 is basically a warning. Okay, you wanted the Assyrians. You're going to get the Assyrians and they're going to come they're going to come in and it's going to be death and it's going to be destruction. The thing you're turning to for salvation is a false salvation that's only going to bring captivity, despair, darkness, and destruction. And that's what happens whenever we look to a false salvation. All right, so we think, okay, we think we've got it figured out. We're ready to move on. And then we come to chapter eight. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning Mehar shall al-Hashbaz. Now we have another son. Now, wait a minute. So we've got, we've got uh, Isaiah's son, Shirar Jeshub. We've got the son who will be born of a virgin, Emmanuel. And now we have another son of Isaiah who's mentioning here, Mehar shall al-Hashbaz. Well, so why, why another son? Why, why did we just jump to another son? Don't we already have enough signs in chapter seven? Well, we could argue that there's a little bit of confusion in chapter seven. We could, we could argue that maybe Ahaz doesn't really understand. Maybe the house of David doesn't really understand. But whatever, whatever the case, God doesn't stop with just those two children. He introduces Mehar al-Hashbaz, and this is what happens. So the Lord tells him to write this name down. Uh, he took upon him faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of uh, Jer- Jerbekiah. So they're to go witness him writing this name out, right? This very long name, write this name out. And then Isaiah goes in unto the prophet, right? Prophetess, I should say, goes in unto the prophetess. Right? They have physical relations. Uh, she conceived and bare a son. And then said, then said the Lord to me, call his name Mehar Shal al-Hashbaz, right? Remember that name you wrote down? That's what you're going to call this son, right? That name is significant. And now look, look at what happens. Verse four, for before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Now it's, emphasized again, hey, before this child reaches a certain age, those two kings that have been, that, that you're so worried about are going to be completely taken care of by the king of Assyria. So now it's very specific. Now, what we think is that somehow that before Mehar Shal al-Hashbaz reaches the age of, of uh, uh, before the Mehar Shal al-Hashbaz reaches the age of saying father and mother, about that same time, Shirar Jashub will reach the age of knowing uh, of 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 to refuse the evil and choose the good. In other words, the, the these two children reach these respected points in time, these marks in time, and when they both reach that, probably somewhere close to the same time. At least we think this is what happens. At that time. This prophecy is fulfilled and the kings are ultimately removed. So even though Ahaz says he didn't want a sign, he in a, in a roundabout sense, he received three signs. Sher Jashub, Emmanuel, which really goes way beyond that, and, and Mehar al-Shah Hashbaz. He ends up with three signs. You say, why? God's mercy 
And not just even, he's not even really worried. Ultimately, I mean, Ahaz is a part of this, but it's the house of David, which really becomes very significant because that must be preserved to bring forth the Messiah, to bring forth the one it called Emmanuel, all right? So then in verse five, the Lord spake also unto me again saying, for as much as this people refuseth the waters of Shiloh, that, that go softly and rejoice and resin and Ramalia's son. So now, now there's almost like a, a kind of a warning and a rebuke here. And it goes, it seems that this goes beyond just Ahaz. Goes beyond that, hey, the, the, the people here were rejoicing. Were they rejoicing in the idea that these kings were going to come in and get rid of Ahaz because they were sick of Ahaz? Were they rejoicing in the fact that these kings were going to be destroyed by the Assyrians? What, what, what are they rejoicing in? Well, they are rejoicing in this. And guess what they're doing? They refuse the waters of Shiloh. They're refusing the waters in a sense that comes from God. This small, quiet, peaceable river, they, re, they rejected that and they wanted, and, and if you look in the next verse, now, therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many. This, what God was promising seemed too insignificant. Small children, one of them is going to say mommy and daddy. The other one's going to, re- re- you know, reach an age where he refuses to know or he re- can refuse evil. The, these, these small children who are going to be still helpless, a a child is going to be born of a virgin and his name's going to be called Emmanuel. That all seems either hard to understand, but they're children, they're babies. It seems insignificant. It seems like, how is that helpful? We need armies. We need Kings. We need a solution. So all, all of them, the people Ahaz refused what seems that small, quiet, peaceable thing coming from God, which was really the solution. They wanted something else. And what they're going to get is the river, the Euphrates. They're going to get basically a flood. And that's going to be the Assyrians who are going to come in and flood over everything. All right. Verse eight, and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breath of thy land, O Emmanuel. Now, this is very interesting. The land, in a sense, is now identified with Emmanuel, not identified. Now, this is very important. The land is not identified by the name Mehar Shal Al-Hashbaz. The, na- the land is not identified by the name Shear Jashub. The land is identified by the name Emmanuel. The land belongs to God. The land belongs to him. It belongs to him. That's who it belongs to. So it may be overflowed, but it's not going to be completely destroyed. A remnant will return. A remnant will be preserved because ultimately from Judah will come Emmanuel will come, the Messiah, will come this promised prophecy, right? That brings us to verse nine. Now, there's a lot more we could say about all of that. Now, that took 20 minutes, but that hopefully that, I did the best I could to get us every, I know there's still probably some questions you could, you could ask, but I think that does a pretty good job getting us where we need to be. So now let's look at Isaiah 7, verse nine. 
And I'm going to look at this. First, we're going to read it from a number of translations because I just think uh, that's a good place to start. Or or Isaiah 8, I should say. If I said Isaiah 7, I apologize. Isaiah 8, and we're going to go to verse 9. I know there's a a lot of things we could look at in verse 8, but that's okay. We're going to go to verse 9. All right, here we go. All right. Isaiah 8, 9. And there's, there's a, I'm going to read it from a number of translations because I just think it's interesting. Here we go. Here's one. Rise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. All right. Okay. What, what, what's getting ready to happen here? New Living Translation. Huddle together, you nations. And be terrified. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Yes, prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. The Berean Study Bible. Huddle together, O peoples, and be shattered. Pay attention, all ye distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. And then the King James. Associate yourselves. Like huddle together, come together. O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. That sounds like a pretty serious warning here. A very serious warning here. All right? He, so the, uh, the Assyrians are going to come in, but then there's a warning here that everyone needs to be paying attention. Everyone needs to prepare themselves because destruction is coming. Defeat is coming. Now, what exactly could be referred to here? Well, let's just look at a couple of uh, translations here, or not a couple of commentaries here. Right. Um, okay. The it is impossible. This is one I love when you open up a commentary and this is the first thing you read. It is impossible to obtain this meaning from the existing Hebrew text, uh, which must be translated "make an uproar." The prophet passes from the consideration of the opposition offered to Jehovah by Israel, Syria, and Assyria to a general consideration of all nations of the earth. He challenges them to the combat against Jehovah and confidently predicts their defeat. So this seems to be saying, okay, you guys refuse Jehovah. You refuse him. The Assyrians are going to come in. Now everyone, well, well, you refuse. The Assyrians are going to come in. Everyone needs to listen. Everyone needs to prepare themselves because you may refuse Jehovah now, but the time is coming that you're all going to be destroyed. That's how they handle the text. All right. Um, the, uh, another commentary. Um, o ye peoples, the words are not limited to the confederacy of Syria and Ephraim, but are, as it were, a challenge to all the peoples of the earth far and near. No plan against the divine kingdom which uh, of which the earthly kingdom of the house of David was for the time, the representative shall prosper. The prophet falls back once more on the abiding promise of the name Emmanuel with us is God. In other words, 
All of you can, can come up with your plans. You can come up with your schemes. You can come up with your confederacies. You can fight. You can attack. You can destroy. You can bring in captivity. But be prepared. You're all going to be destroyed from, well, by God, by, by Emmanuel. He will come. He, his kingdom cannot be denied. You can set up all your kingdoms, you can attack and you can destroy, but that will not stop that from occurring, all right? I'm going to go to some other commentaries here, see if they all seem to have basic the same idea. Um, now, some reduce this to just, hey, uh, hey, you Syrians and Israelites, you shall be broken in pieces. Your attempts against the house of David and the kingdom of God will be fruitless, Um uh, uh, will issue in your own ruin and give ear all ye of far countries. Emmanuel's name inspires the prophet with new courage and makes him send a challenge to all of God's enemies and foretells their certain downfall. So I think all the commentaries agree that this, this very strong language, again, let me read it to you again from all the different commentaries, right? Or all the different uh, translations. Rise the war cry, you nations, be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Look, all of you, everyone, Israel, Syria, even the Assyrians, all of you are going to ultimately be destroyed because God is still on the throne and his kingdom will be victorious. Those are some powerful words, some powerful words right there. All right. Then I love this verse 10. Take counsel together and it shall come to naught. Speak the word and it shall not stand for God is with us. You can come up with all of your confederacies. You can come up with all of your agreements and you shall, and it, it will come to naught. All of you, it doesn't matter who, who you work with, doesn't matter who you choose to, to, to side with, all of it's going to come to naught. It's all going to fall apart. Um, uh, speak the word. You can speak whatever word you want. It shall not stand for God is with us. So think of it this way. Man's plans, man's words will never ultimately be victorious over God's will and God's word. You can, you can come up with every plan you want. You can come up with every scheme you want. You can do whatever you want. God's word, God's will will always ultimately win out because, well, it's God's will and God's word and God is eternal, all-powerful, immutable, and, and you cannot be victorious over him. This is a, a, a warning for us. Don't seek, don't seek a fake salvation don't seek your will, surrender to God's will and God's word. And then look at verse 11. Now, I love this. Look at verse 10. It said, take counsel together. It shall come to naught. Speak the word and it shall not stand for God is with us. And then I love this verse 11. For the Lord spake thus to me, with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying. It's contrasting. Man's words, God's, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. And this is what God said. Verse 12, 12. 
Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom the people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. When they say confederacy, you don't go along with it. When they're afraid, you don't need to be afraid. When this is such a, a key element of Christianity. When everyone comes up with their plans and ideas, we don't have to go with their plans and ideas. When everyone else may be afraid, we don't have to be afraid because we trust in God's word. It's a, I just think it's an interesting, you have, you have a contrast here between man's ways, man's will, God's will. Their will is a confederacy. Their will is to take counsel together. Uh, and then you have man's words, who may say, let's do this, let's do that, that man's words, whatever they may be, versus God's word. You have their fear because they're scared to death. Ahaz was scared to death. The house of David was scared to death. You can, you can either fear men or you can fear God. So really, if you think about it, you've got man's will, right? You've got man's will, man's words, and man's fear. Contrasted with God's will, God's word, and trusting in God versus, or, or no, let's do it this way. Oh, this one, I think this will even be better. Are you ready? To, so we have this contrast here. You may want to write this down, right? I didn't even think about this, but now I think this is really good, all right? Are you ready? Think this through. You have man's will versus God's will. You have man's word versus God's word. And you have the fear of man versus the fear of God. So are you going to follow God's will or man's will? Are you going to listen to God's word or man's word? Or are you going to fear men or fear God? They were in a real historical situation where there was ever reason to be afraid. There was, but were they going to fear God? Here's what, now listen, watch how this works. When we fear men, listen, instead of fearing God, we have a tendency to look to men's will, our will versus God's will. And we have a tendency to listen to men's words versus God's word. It, if once we stop fearing God, when we don't fear God, we fear other things and those other things lead us to our will and our words, or it leads us to listening to someone else's will and someone else's words. The fear of God is the starting point. That's why the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If I fear God above everything else, then guess what? Why would I, why would I not listen to God's will? I'm going to follow God's will if I fear God. Why would I not listen to his word? If I fear God, I'm, but if I stop fearing God and I fear people, well, then I, I'm going to come up with my own strategy and I'm going to come up or I'm going to listen to someone else's strategy or I'm going to listen to someone else's words. Do, they, they, Ahaz and the people of Judah feared men more than they feared God. And as a result, they listened to their plans, or at least Ahaz came up with his plans. They were listening to their words. Isaiah the prophet seemed to demonstrate a greater fear for God than for men. And then he listened to God's will, followed God's will and listened to God's word. I, th I think there's something very important right here. And I really want, I want you to spend some time 
thinking about this, okay? So, again, the contrast there is just so, so, to me, it's just so blatant in the text, right? They take counsel together, like counsel coming up with the words, and, 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 uh, and, and it shall come to pass, it shall come to not. So they're going to take counsel together. In other words, they're going to form up their own will, their own plans. They're going to speak the word and it shall not stand for God is with us. Their counsel, their will, their word. And then verse 11, for the Lord spoke thus unto me. All right, there, there's his word uh, 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 with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying. And then we're going to have God's will is going to stand. God's word, God's will. And they say, wait, listen, when the people say a confederacy, confederacy to all them to whom the people shall say a confederacy, don't, don't, don't go along with that. Don't, don't speak those words. And then it says, fear ye, neither fear ye their fear nor be afraid. Don't have their fear. Now, yes, we're always called to fear God. Don't have their fear. Yeah, you've got fear. You've got man's will, man's word, man, a fear of man versus God's word, God's will, God's word, and the fear of God. And then verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. There you have it. Fear God, but sanctify him. Sanctify the Lord, fear the Lord, Listen to the Lord and follow his will. This, this is the, 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 the contrast here. There, there, I want to go further, but I think, I, I think I'm, I'm not. I think, I, think, I think right here we need to just really spend some time, maybe this Friday, maybe a little bit of Saturday, uh, to really think about this. And I've got to figure out what I'm going to do tomorrow, maybe what I'm going to do Sunday with this, because there's some very powerful lessons here. Some very powerful lessons here. What do you fear? What, I'm, I'm going to really, I, I think maybe there's the key. What we fear determines which will we seek. What we fear determines what word we will listen to. The fear and the will and the word are all connected. You got man's will, you've got or man's plans. You can call it man's will, man's plans. They counsel together. You got man's word. None of that's going to last. None of it's going to work. And then you have the fear of man. Don't fear them. Fear God. If I fear God, then I'm, I'm looking to His will. I'm looking to His word. So, how much does the fear of men? Or, or let's we can even add to the fear of circumstances completely re in a sense re completely resets reboots your mind to look at everything from an incorrect perspective recalibrates your mind to start off in the wrong direction like what your fear sets you up for all of these other it it, it 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 almost completely rewrites your hardware. It, it completely re- rewrites your software. Whatever the correct technical term is, it rewrites your brain. 
And once that happens, then you're like, okay, I got to come up with a strategy. Who's got a strategy? All right. Okay. What, what words do people have to, and, and you turn to everything other than God. But if you fear God above everything else, then you're like, what's God's will? What's God's word? The, 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 the contrast here is it's too, it's repeated too much to just be, ah, it's no big deal. Let's just read through this. There is much here to consider and much here to discuss and take apart. All right. I, I, I want to I go more into this, but I'm, I'm not right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 not, yeah, I, I'm going to stop right there. Oh, I want to go further. I want to go further into it. I want to go further into it. But it's just so fascinating that the, everyone here is, they've got, everyone here is struggling with this, with this set of circumstances, whether it's Ahaz, whether it's the people. And now it's like really, come, hey, people, this is what you should have been doing. Hey, realize that all your plans and all your ideas, they're all going to come to naught anyway. They're all going to fall apart anyway. Those are some strong, and, it, and it's very interesting what happens. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to give anything away. I, I think that, I think right here, we're going to leave this as like the transitional aspect because what comes next really fits with everything I'm saying right here. So you have man's will, man's word, and the fear of man versus God's will, God's word, and the fear of God. You get the fear, once the, once the wrong fear takes over you, then you tend to reject God's will and God's word for man's will and man's word. You look for that, you look for an answer to take away that fear. Sometimes we want the fear to go away more than anything else. The fear of man is a trap. Fear of circumstances is a spiritual trap. It, it completely recalibrates our thinking to being, to, to being completely worldly and ungodly. All right, I'm going to stop there. there. There's much there. Oh, I, I really want to dig in. I really want to dig in. But I, I, think, I think right there should just, I hope it just, sparks all kinds of conversation here. I hope it sparks all kinds of conversation. All right. I, I think it um I, I think it it should spark all kinds of conversation and discussion here. I'm hoping it does that. You can let me know. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I feel almost bad for stopping at this point, but I think we just kind of I kind of got us there. And remember the Bible study exercise, I'm not even supposed to necessarily do all of the teaching. So I think I've got us right there and I'm not even going to give you an assignment. I'm just going to kind of, I kind of like walked you into this and kind of said, look around. You see this interesting contrast going on? All right, now you figure it out. So I'm just going to kind of stop there. Instead of giving you something to look up, I've given you something to think about and meditate on. And then you can let me know what you think and what, and if you see, maybe, maybe you don't even see what I'm seeing, but I think there's something really powerful right there. All right, I'll stop right there. Newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, everyone have a great evening of study and uh, continue working on Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. All right, God bless.